Thank you for a great panel, great discussion. And I'd like to thank each one of you really for uh, not only being part of the uh, panel, but also for all your help uh, putting the whole thing together and uh, brainstorming. Thank you. And now I'd like to ask uh, Clemens, Clemens Hilmer to uh, come and take over and guide us through the next panel. And I can see the panelists coming to the podium. So, um, Clemens, here you are again. So, thank you to all of you for, uh, again, for coming, for being part of it, or helping to put the whole thing together. Perfect. Oh, you want to uh, be seated down? You don't want to be up here? Okay. Clemens, we have the clock there. Okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome to our um, today's uh, panel discussion on finance options and challenges for small and mid-sized owners. I must say um, I'm very much impressed to see that there are so many people uh, are here in the conference room and are not standing at the coffee tables outside, but this is maybe because we have Icebine Week and you need to sit down and need some relaxation. Um, yeah, first of all, um, I would like to introduce you very shortly to our um, panelists, our esteemed panelists. Um, here we have, right to my right, uh, we have uh, Timothy uh, So, who is Managing Director at Ascension, Ascension Finance, uh, an alternative financier. Then we have uh, Christian Stiefel, Director at Australis Maritime. Australis Maritime is a financing uh, platform of uh, Borealis and Borealis as such is doing more the equity investments that is what I understood and know then we have uh, Ali Susanto uh, from uh, Bremer Corporate Finance Managing Director and Ali is based in the Singapore office and he will be here to comment on the Asian angle of our discussion then we have Martin Hugger who is at um, Meerbaum, who are affiliated with um, Oaktree, also an alternative lender. And last but not least, we have here Oliver Fark, um, managing director and partner at Capital Transport, um, an intermediary and financial advisor. Is that okay, Oliver? Uh, transport capital, yes, not capital oh. transport, uh, but anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for Just that. a minor point. <laughs> Sorry for that. Um, yeah, just um, starting with a f short intro from you guys, um, and before we speak more about the finance options and the, the challenges for small owners and mid-sized owners, I would be interested in what actually, which special niches are you covering? 
particularly you? Um, so Ascension it offers senior secured first lien debt. Uh, we operate in the asset classes of greater liquidity, so container, uh, crew tankers, product tankers, and dry bulk. And within that, the flexibility we can offer on terms is very helpful to small and medium-sized owners. So we are flexible on age. We will finance vessels that are coming up to the end of their useful economic life down to scrap. We can offer non-recourse financing, we can be flexible on employment and loan to value. Um, we're also aware that when it comes to the sale and purchase process, it can be difficult for smaller and medium owners to move as quickly as their larger competitors. So we can also offer bridge financings and hunting licenses just to lock in that certainty of funding before you enter the auction process. Perfect, thank you very much. Christian, three, four sentence. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that we are generally um, asset agnostic. So we are also obviously also a senior secured uh, lender and uh, very much um, the, the product finance lease, senior secured loans is, 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 is roughly the same. There is no particular niche. We are really a globally positioned business. We have people across the world um, looking for, for, for business in, in that particular segment. Again, any segment that is at the time um, uh, of, of, of you know, the need for capital, we are there to, to, to support them. Uh, obviously, this is a very interesting year, particularly me responsible for, uh, for, for the German market. Very difficult conditions. We're going to have to be honest about the dynamics that we are playing in. And uh, in, in that sense, very little on the German front, but very much grown on the global scale. Thank you. And Ali? Yes, um, Brema Corporate Finance, as you know, is a corporate finance arm of Brema's uh, shipping services. So I'm heading the Singapore office of Brema Corporate Finance. And the reason indeed, if you're asking why suddenly I'm appear here, is that my colleague thinks it would be good uh, for me to see, uh, to, to share a bit of uh, our knowledge and development. This year has been particularly good for us. We have closed five transactions so far. We have mandates for another six, of which four of them we have received a thumbship as well. Uh, you will see later on, we explain a bit, it's basically a very diverse uh, client base from basically a ship owner, a, a new startup, a, a company buying their first drive-up vessel and a, a second drive-up vessel, and then there is a new transshipment company operating in Guinea, and also a new tanker company. Okay, thank and, you. And also, yeah, we have to, to the extreme end, a US dollar one billion company as well. Okay. Uh, so I will explain, you will see that the financials are basically very diverse and they are new, I would put it, green suit and pockets <coughs> of liquidity in Asia. Okay, thank you. Amani, your special niche you are covering in three, four sentences. Um, not so special, actually. What we are doing is we provide finance to small and mid-sized owners who have the capital um, to buy, say, one vessel cash uh, and would like to, find, to buy three vessels instead, uh, maybe not all at once, but uh, staggered over time, and they don't want to wait for their banks uh, for half a year or longer to provide them with finance uh, and see an opportunity going. So that's what we do. We help people compete with cash buyers. All right. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, our, our business model um, is based on four pillars. Um, firstly, we, we run our own uh, long-short hedge fund, which invests into maritime um, aviation and energy. 
This addresses uh, the, the needs and the demand from those investors who are not really like um, that adventurous uh, investing into a hard asset, uh, into an illiquid asset, but into illiquid uh, positions only. And I can, I can share with you that um, the, the assets under management have increased uh, during the past 12 months uh, as they have never done before. So obviously there is um, awareness, um, there is interest in, in maritime and aviation and uh, in, in liquid positions. Secondly, um, we together with uh, Clemens Töpfer, Töpfer Transport, um, we run our own ship brokerage, S&P, as well as, um, as Charter. Uh, thirdly, um, we um, um, have started um, um, a, a, a new um, like uh, activity. We have set up our own um, company to invest early stage our own equity into startups, uh, uh, which are related to, to maritime only. And then um, our, our main pillar is corporate finance services, including intermediate services and advisory. Okay, perfect. Um, now, Martin Stockford told us a lot about the challenges we are facing in the shipping industry at the moment. And I would now be very interested to, to hear from you. Um, you as alternative lenders, alternative finances, um, we also see like, like um, old vessels, ship recycling, we see um, 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 sanctions. Are alternative lenders maybe a bit more flexible than traditional banks? M Martin? Well, I don't know if you can picture myself in an orange <laughs> jumpsuit in, in Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay. I, I don't really want to end up there. And most of our clients uh, don't want that either. They prefer nice Caribbean shores uh, and maybe uh, some Cayman Island or Marshall Island companies. Uh, but no, we're absolutely inflexible there. We try to protect our clients um, from some hanky-panky charters uh, that sometimes tell, tell stories you won't believe. And um, we monitor vessels and we are um, probably monitoring vessels harder than banks do. Um, if you have Maersk as a client, you can rely on them knowing what they do and having internal setups and are legally sound and have the right people uh, to ask for sanctions issues. We help our clients uh, that they are not taken for a ride by some Switzerland-based uh, company uh, that claims that um, the Russian sanction principle is on lunch and therefore he doesn't count as a UBO. Right, okay. And uh, Christian, you, how, how are you dealing with, with uh, for example, sanctions? I mean, we, we, we share the inflexibility of obviously not allowing okay. sanction, sanctioned business. I'd, I'd probably talk a little bit about the approach, though, because one thing is to look at um, the, the case in front of you, see some keywords and say no. The other one is actually to put in the due diligence, understand exactly what is happening here, who is the charterer, who is, what's the port involved, the cargo, the cargo owner, the port owner. All of these things need to be, at the end of the day, due diligence, and then ultimately come up with a very reasoned decision why you're not going to uh, going ahead with it. I think then you actually get from your from your clients uh, more positive feedback rather than just saying flat out no, there is this name in it and it, we can't do it. But absolutely, we would never obviously allow 
um, sanction trades or like sanction activity to, to, to go ahead. That's not possible. Again, it is about, you know, getting there in a, in a way that is, um, that is simply more pragmatic. Okay, but uh, where is an, uh, because my understanding is that, uh, that alternative lenders are sometimes a bit more flexible, where is the flexibility you can offer in comparison to traditional banks? I think age is definitely a factor where we are more flexible. If you talk to some of the larger international banks, you probably, they'll of course finance a new build, they might finance the second round, the first round of refinancing, but once that vessel enters double digits, you may struggle to, to go to the larger international banks. You'll then probably move to the local banks for a vessel that's maybe 10 or 11 years old, but even they'll probably tap out at around 14, 15 years old, and at least at Ascension, and I think some of the other alternative lenders will still look at vessels that are, are getting older. Um, obviously, the, the, the way the loan would look would differ as the vessel gets older, but it is possible to get financing for those end-of-life vessels that um, banks probably won't be willing to Okay, uh, that is very interesting because um, also with the increasing legal um, environment, also when it comes to scrapping, um, I would think that there it would become more and more difficult for, for, for owners to find financing uh, when it comes to the end of the life of a, of a vessel. So uh, how do you deal then with the uh, regulations like the, the Hong Kong Convention and Basel Convention? I think... The Hong Kong Convention we're, we're, we're supportive of. We think it's a responsible way to scrap vessels and a lot of our existing borrowers, even if the flag of the vessel doesn't require them to scrap under Hong Kong, they will have that as part of their voluntary ESG policy. And you can still get decent scrap value out of a vessel that's scrapped under Hong Kong, maybe not as much as if you went completely off, off the grid to somewhere else, but that is there is still scrap value in that vessel, equity value in that vessel under Hong Kong. It does get trickier if you're looking at the EU convention for scrap or the, you know, even the UK convention, and that's where we would have to do further diligence. But I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect an owner to scrap under Hong Kong and still be able to um, pay off a balloon that is structured to, to be paid off under the scrap um, proceeds. Yeah. Because it would definitely make a difference whether you scrap the vessel somewhere in India or... Turkey or uh, somewhere else. Huh? Um, Oliver, uh, what is your observation on, on that? Is, do you see alternative lenders a bit more flexible on, on, on old vessels and than traditional banks? Well, um, actually, we are, and sorry, I don't want to, I want to steal the show. Um, we, are, we are also actively dealing with, uh, with Asian lenders um, and, um, and on the other way around, uh, looking from here eastbound, um, we as um, exclusive um, landing agents to DECA Bank uh, provide uh, refinancings to Chinese leasing houses. And what we have observed uh, during the last, say, six to seven months is I would say as a certain concern, and this then leads into, into hesitance um, from Western banks um, to refinance Chinese leasing houses on a transaction-by-transaction -transaction basis. And this relates to this famous expression we have heard earlier in other panels, yeah, these are the geopolitical reasons. Um, and vice versa, uh, looking eastbound, um, we see that, and we have witnessed and experienced, sadly, uh, from, from, from our business perspective, uh, that European ship owners said, well, this is a great leasing offer from a Chinese leasing house. It's very competitive, uh, but for geopolitical reasons, yeah, we would uh, 
prefer to finance you know, with an alternative lender or um, with a with a commercial bank here in in in, in Europe. So these are the two the two let's say um, observations we have made. I do not want to call it that this is a general like and 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 a, and a big move, um, um, but actually it shows how sensitive capital is and how how sensitive. Um, uh, and how quick you know these sensitivities lead into into concrete actions. Thank you, Oliver. Um, Ali, we see that uh, alternative lenders here are when it comes to sanctions, yeah, they're strict. Yeah, when it comes to, for example, the the age of the vessels, uh, they're a bit more flexible. Uh, in Asia, do you see more flexibility? Um, from the financial point of view, I would say yes. For example, we just concluded a 15 years old tanker financing uh, from a Japanese uh, money, a, a Japanese operating lease, and we got 90% financing. Five-year tenor, um, yeah, it, it's down to very low scrap value. Um, again, I think the, the basis is still sanction whatever the money comes from now, Japan, China, is definitely non-negotiable. Uh, the flexibility we see indeed on the age um, and also the client size. If you investigate a new startup in shipping, you go to the bank, most likely will be turned down immediately. Uh, but for alternative financier, they are willing to consider, so they are more willing to take uh, residual risk. And the, the one aspect that I think is what is very good for alternative financier is the speed of execution. We, one of your colleagues, I think we closed one deal in Singapore from the start to beginning drawdown, only four weeks. Uh, so we all, the KYC now, in the bank or whatever, you cannot do it with, with the bank. Maybe to, to change the word flex, like flexibility, the, the way I would approach it is, and I, and I mentioned at the beginning, um, with an asset agnostic approach, what is flexibility for us at Australis Merita? It is to acknowledge um, where you are in the cycle, in particular geographies, where you are in the cycle in particular asset classes, and then ultimately go there where the majority of lenders wouldn't go. The best example is offshore. So offshore is one of those areas where looking into 2022, we have done a tremendous amount of business Banks are simply not present at all. Alternative lenders are not present in big numbers. And that's ultimately when you have an underlying thesis where you also underwrite that particular recovery in this, in this segment, it's easier to also then you know, do meaningful business in these areas. Geographies, um, things like countries like Turkey, like the Middle East, Southeast Asia, very, very important uh, markets for us uh, this year. Again, not where a lot of lenders are, 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 are present. Uh, however, ship owners remain there and ship owners continue to experience the same capital pressures as, 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 as in any given year, really. Um, so that's basically where I would say you know, the flexibility also sits, sits for us here. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Tim, we have also now heard yeah, that much or so much about the, the challenges in the shipping industry. Uh, what does it actually mean for for you then, as a as a as a lender or financier? Um, is it difficult at the moment to deploy your capital to do your lending to find transactions? 
we got you know we see so many prepayments uh, at the moment we see uh, interest rates increasing we see um, increasing risk yeah how does it work for you um, I think it's not difficult to find opportunities to lend I think to Martin's point earlier a lot of the small and medium owners they they, they aren't flush with liquidity. They've done well in the last cycle, but they're not the masks of the world who have been able to just prepay down hundreds of millions in debt and don't need liquidity. So I think if, if an owner likes a project, they most likely are going to have to raise debt on it. I think where it has got tougher is with increasing underlying reference rates, your break-evens are now potentially double what they were 12 months ago, if not less. And in some asset classes, in preparation for what the boom that is supposed to follow, you're already seeing the asset prices rise without a corresponding increase in day rates to allow you to, to be able to afford that higher price. And so that's probably the tricky part now is finding that asset class where you aren't, as a lender, almost taking an equity position on where you think day rates may be in 2023 because they're not quite there yet, but the asset price is. Okay. <laughs> So for Australis, 2022 will be the, the best year of capital deployment. And um, people who know me in the German market will say, how is that possible? Because obviously Germany, that market wasn't booming in, on the lending side. I can, I, can, I can say that, at least not for alternative lending. And again, it comes back to what I said previously. Offshore, big part of it. But then the other thing is what you've seen in a market such as Greece, as an example, lots of asset players, S&P activity. And we're coming back to the speed of execution. When the opportunity is there, Act fast, be reliable, and then people are coming to you because they know within two to three weeks they're going to have the cash on their, bank, on their bank account and they can close the deal. And that is what has driven a lot of activity for us this year. But Martin, are you still sitting on a, on a lot of money? Um, we cannot employ all the money we could get, actually. Um, the, uh, but can I say something to, to the uh, aspect of uh, Chinese leasing that you touched upon earlier? Yes, of course. Uh, you left me out on that, and you know that we have on the refinancing side, uh, we also have partners. It's not only Oak Tree Money, uh, but we also work with banks. And uh, what I find um, as a kind of client of, of uh, finance institutions, uh, the most relevant thing is that I can actually pick up the phone when there is an issue. And in shipping, there are always issues. And I, I can reach out to the person who has given me the money and tell him what the problem is and sort it out and come to a conclusion. Uh, whereas uh, if you have a new coming institution somewhere, they may be a bit cheaper, but you never know whether the person you talk to uh, during uh, the candy time when they hand out uh, all the indicative term sheets that they uh, promise the world upon, whether this is really the person that is still there after some time and uh, whether this is the person to talk to. And you'll find the institutions that are, uh, let's say, more successful in alternative finance to be uh, led and run by people that actually have a 20, 30 year network, a little bit of gray hair. And uh, we used to joke about some old guy at Deutsche Schiffsbank who started his application saying, I personally know the client for 20 years. It actually matters. Well, and it's, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, 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 no. 
No, it was not the bus, but Deutsche Schiff, so I, I, I recall those, uh, <laughs> those days uh, quite, quite well. And not only I have grey hair, but also less hair than compared to, to, to you since, uh, since then. But actually, maybe, maybe looking at more from a, from a holistic point of view, um, I would say that most, most of the lenders leasing companies are behind schedule uh, with regards to uh, their their lending capacity and their capital they, they wanted to deploy. And uh, this, is, this is not a, a result of um, a lack in opportunities, uh, but um, you know, um, I think Tim said it there, uh, or, or, or Christian said it, uh, the industry, the ship owners are flushed with, uh, with liquidity. Um, they are deleverage, uh, deleveraging and have delivered uh, um, during the past nine to 12 months. And this led to a huge amount uh, and wave of repayments, in particular um, in, in, in the lending books um, of the of the commercial banks. So, on a net basis, uh, net net basis, I would say most of them are behind schedule, and there is uh, there is uh, there is rather um, more capital available than there is demand for currently, uh, from at least from 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 my point of view. And and this is a rather holistic, not going into each and any single sector um, or organization, this I cannot judge. Uh, there's Martin, Tim, and Christian, you're, you're better off there. Thank you. And Ali, how, how, how do you see that in, in Asia? Yeah, I, I add a bit uh, back to the point raised by Oliver just now on the lack of or lesser financing to the uh, Chinese listing company. And on top of that, you read in the trade winds, they are facing some internal issues also, right? Uh, that was earlier this year where we thought that there might be less opportunity there. But to our surprise, actually, if you see uh, there actually uh, how the Chinese leasing company fund their, themselves is very diverse. Uh, some is indeed rely on international banks. Some of them, if you see, are basically owned by, I would say, maybe a shipyard or a big conglomerate where they have a lot of US dollar. And they find it actually difficult to deploy their US dollar as well. Uh, because of COVID, if you see where they can park their money. Aviation, definitely no. Property, no. What is the next big ticket item? Shipping. So, so indeed, so some of this, the fact that uh, one deal we, we closed three months ago and now we have another term sheet come from the leasing company that I've never heard of one year ago. Uh, but when I got the terms, I was also a bit hesitant whether they can deliver or not. But this is the situation they face. They have plus with US dollar, they want to do deals, and they delivered. So, so there, there, there are still uh, several tiers, I would say, of the Chinese listing company. If you look wide enough, there are still some of them willing to do deals. Okay. Um, you are all now very much in lending and uh, have investors who are now um, provide debt uh, and debt to small and medium-sized uh, ship owners. Um, would it make, um, is there, um, what is the appetite at the moment for, for that, for providing debt and, and what is actually the, the advantage uh, in comparison to uh, uh, invest in form of equity? Christian. I mean, look, um, we obviously run a variety of strategies um, in the wider group, and uh, what we can testify to is that the appetite for direct lending as a strategy in maritime is phenomenal. 
So that's, in many ways, it's probably the strongest proposition for investors. So we see zero um, uh, pullback, and, um, and, and, and so the commitment is very strong. But what is the reason for that? Is it because it's less operational? Risk-adjusted returns are very, very attractive. So to put it very bluntly, I mean, it's, it's um, the, and I'm specifically talking about the senior secret lending side, so not mass or, or junior. Uh, Given the volatility of shipping um, and uh, the type of returns that ultimately can be generated through um, alternative uh, lending strategies, it is simply a very interesting product. And again, we, um, to, to Martin's point, we, 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 we cannot actually take the capital that would come our way. We, okay. and, and, and so, yeah, very positive. Maybe also to add um, that um, for those lenders, leasing houses, and financing institutions who are committed to transportation, there was a lack of opportunity in the aviation space, yeah, given you know that aviation was in a crisis. I mean, they have had a tremendous year. This year, it will not last. Um, this would be my, my best guess for, uh, for, for next year. Um, and due to this uh, lack uh, in, in opportunities to provide debt finance at, at decent terms and conditions in the avi aviation space, uh, lots of money, uh, including from institutional investors, was uh, allocated uh, to, to maritime. Yeah? And uh, I think this, this had a quite positive and, and big impact um, um, into, uh, into activity in, in the maritime space. So I understand your investors like shipping, and it's not difficult for you to find investors. It's also very scalable, and scale is always important for, for institutions. Um, how much can you actually scale opportunistic equity versus what you can do on the direct lending side? There is a, there's a difference here. Uh, by fund-level facilities, for example. Sorry? By fund-level facilities, so that you get refinance. Uh, I mean, the... From other for, banks for, and, and scale. Uh, for scale us specifically, it. for us specifically, we obviously the business model is that we are raising institutional capital, which we then um, deploy. And for institutions, the ability to or the outlook that you ultimately can deploy not millions but billions is a very attractive proposition. And what I'm trying to um, uh, say is that that path is probably more straightforward with direct lending versus something like opportunistic equity. Okay, thank you. Um, maybe also, now, refocusing again on the small and medium-sized ship owners. Um, I mean, yeah, we have heard of all these challenges, and the question is now, are there certain advantages for small and medium-sized ship owners? Are they, are they a bit more flexible to cope with them? With that, in comparison to, to, to large ship owners, how do, you, how do you see that, Tim? Well, I've had ship owners tell me that <clears throat> in terms of a return on investment perspective, the older ship, in terms of the price you pay versus the day rate discrepancy to a younger ship, you can actually make very good returns on an older ship. I'll you know, defer to people who actually take equity positions in ships, whether or not that's 100% true. But definitely compared to larger corporates that have much more stringent ESG policies, that that flexibility to go after an asset that you like without having to be bound by other criteria, I think definitely makes it more interesting. I think the other side of that is also as a lender, <coughs> given the opportunity to lend, uh, one ship, lend to one ship in a fleet of 30 and essentially be in a very minority position if something goes wrong, 
versus being able to finance all free ships for a smaller owner, you could also argue that you'd rather be in that position of being a 100% lender to a smaller owner that you can have a proper dialogue with rather than just someone who's helping fill up the capital structure of a bigger company. Yeah, okay. Um, Martin, do you have a view on that? Do you mean advantages for us to deal with the advantages for 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 the for the for the for the ship for the ship owners for the ship owners the ship owner as such that they are more flexible possibly or or is it actually was it a challenge for them? I think it. I wouldn't say small versus big. I would say good versus bad. There are very good companies that are large, and there are very good companies that are small. And it has a lot, a lot to do with the knowledge that is within a company. And a small company can be horribly run. Um, if there is someone who just has money and ideas and doesn't know what he's doing, but you can have the same with a big company. So I think the, the, the challenge is to find that a company is actually a good run company. It's fast able to grasp opportunities, understands its business, uh, has the right connections on the chartering side, has good technical people, and you can have that as a four-vessel company. Yeah. Uh, you can have that as a one-vessel company if you don't have it yourself but source it out. E even that works, but that if you have, uh, if, if you just think it's fancy to put money in shipping, we've all seen what happens. But what is it uh, with regard to the regulatory uh, regulatory environment? I mean, because this is uh, getting more and more uh, tougher and tougher, uh, isn't it easier for, for small or for, for, for large ship owners to, to cope with that? Or so Oliver, do you? Uh, oh, uh, Oliver, um, look, I, I would I would rather put it the other way around. So um, in, in today's market, which is which is very diversified in terms of sources of debt, potential sources of debt. Um, there is maybe not for each and any situation such debt capital available, but it comes in, 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 in many, many different structures. And I mean, Ali had mentioned a 15 years old tanker, um, which, which normally a, a, a Western bank would not touch. Uh, so there are, there are obviously sources available. Um, as, a, as a further example, I can, I can share with you that we found uh, debt capital for a 20 years old, old uh, biker and a 21 years old container vessels. Uh, on a, on a 25 years profile, uh, so there is capital available. This was for a, a really small uh, shipping company. And actually there is also capital available, and, and, and Martin uh, during the, the last break uh, gave a, a, a slight impression, yeah, which from, for me as, a, as an ex-banker goes already into the equity, deep into the equity. Uh, in, in, in that case we talk about a 70% uh, advance rate yeah, on the delivered cost or the acquisition cost. I think this is uh, this is already outside the regular senior debt, um, and and maybe uh, um, there there are there is capital available, yeah, which is called debt, uh, but goes up until 80 percent, yeah, of um, of delivered cost and and acquisition cost. Yeah, um, and what is now, Christian? For example, Martin mentioned that the average shipping company has um, seven vessels. Yeah. Would you rather see a consolidation, or uh, would that continue like that? I think we've been talking about consolidation for decades. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I think this will always be an industry uh, driven by entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial activity. 
I mean, I think the last statistic I've seen is that still 60, 65% of, of, of ownership as, yeah, I mean, this, this ties into what you just said. So, yes, there will be consolidation at the margin, probably in a segment like LNG, it makes sense, but bulkers, tankers, not really, um, no. Okay. Um, maybe, yeah, coming now um, to our last issue, uh, and that is, I mean, we, we touched upon that uh, before today, but um, Chinese leader Xi just reconfirmed once again the uh, unification with Taiwan and also reserved the right to, to use force. Um, here in Germany, we have big discussions about that, uh, Taiwan and the, the impact on, on Germany, Europe, the economy, and so that we are looking to get more and more independent also from, from China. Um, my question is, um, also, and that goes first maybe to, to, to Ali, do you already, how, I mean, do you see owners on the one side avoiding China, and what is with financing, although I must always say with financing it might not be such a problem, because once I have the money from the lender, yeah, that's, I don't care about that anymore, but of course when I'm ordering a new building vessel, yeah, uh, and then we have a, car, uh, a crisis, then of course that's going to be difficult if you want to call under a refundment guarantee, for example, from a Chinese refundment guarantor. Yep. I think if you look at the statistic in the first half of this year, the new building contract signed for in the Chinese CPR has been going down 40% compared to last year. But last year, we have to remember that it is exceptionally good year for shipbuilding. Uh, so in general, it is still not a bad number. The other pocket liquidity, just now I mentioned a few things like the, the Chinese, the Japanese, and the last one we see going in the market, although not available for the small ship owner, is the Taiwanese. Uh, the, the, the Taiwanese now is also looking into shipping and they are bringing cheap money. Although in terms of the terms and approval, yeah, it's very diverse. It's not really for the, for the small and medium-sized owner. Uh, but from those countries, if you discuss with the working group, as of now, basically their message is still, don't worry, business as usual, uh, proceed as it is. Uh, it's proven that they're still approving deals, and yeah, both sides, I think, still doing deals. Uh, but from the ship owner perspective, the, the, for example, the wind farm in Taiwan, they are still, I think people are still going big time there. Uh, ordering new building, indeed, I think you need to, to be a bit more conscious. Uh, but as of now, I would say placing financing so far has not been slowing down. Okay, so thank you. I must ask, is anybody of you doing uh, pre-delivery financing? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> this is a real niche, I would say. Uh, <laughs> a niche, yeah. A real niche. Uh, okay. So, because I was wondering whether uh, pre-delivery financier would take that into consideration. Yeah. But there's no answer to that. The way we are involved is, yeah, get the pre-delivery financing from the Chinese as well. So, so it's still possible. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I think we are perfect in terms of time. Um, just to conclude. I think we, there's still a range of financing 
available here. You have investors who have still appetite in financing. You are, uh, to a large extent, when it comes to sanctions, you are not less flexible. Yeah, you are very straight. Yeah, um, but maybe when it comes to the to the age of the vessels, yeah, you're a bit more flexible. Uh, you're very quick to document a transaction. Um, I think that was a very yeah, uh, interesting insight. Thank you very much to the panel. Thank you. So uh, to everybody for a great panel, and thank you to everybody for uh, being with us in the audience and uh, staying with us. Thank you very much. So I'll uh, ask Ricardo Pilota to take over and uh, guide us to the next panel on optimizing existing fleet performance. And Ricardo, you have the clock down there. It will activate once we start speaking, so you can time yourself. So good, good, af good afternoon. I would like to start thanking Capital Link for the invitation and for having been given the possibility to discuss this uh, nice topic, uh, which is the op op optimizing uh, uh, the existing fleet performance. Um, <coughs> sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, I, I would like to also to uh, ask my colleagues to introduce themselves. Uh, I would like to start with Theo. Please, go. can you make a first quick introduction? Of sure. You? Thank you very much, Ricardo. Thanks, Nicholas, for inviting us. I'm Theo Baltagis, uh, working with uh, Technomo Shipping for the last 22 years. I'm in shipping 36 years. In principle, I'm a marine engineer. 
and uh, I'm, what I'm doing right now in uh, Technoma, being the GM, I'm just thinking ahead how difficult it's going to be the next few years with all these regulations and the complications that we are ahead of us. We've heard so much from the previous panelists and I'm quite sure we will elaborate more soon. Thank you very much. Yes, please. Okay, uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I'm Rüdiger Schmidt from MIN Energy Solutions. Um, I'm with the company for yeah, more than 17 years, so all my business life I'm at MIN, so quite a very boring CV. Um, I'm heading uh, the new cells uh, in Germany for all MIN uh, products, means two-stroke engines, four-stroke engines, exhaust gas after treatment, and uh, what is driving us at the moment is for sure the decarbonization and the future fuels. So we need to prepare our engine portfolio, especially for these uh, future regulations. And uh, yeah, we need to go now through uh, this challenge together with you. Yes, so hello everyone. Thanks for the invite, Nicolas. Uh, so my name is Roberto Custas. I'm founder of Deep Sea Technologies. Uh, my background is in engineering and computer science. And the reason why we found that deep sea is to change the whole, let's say, angle in performance and shipping and ship performance from being, let's say, hunch-based uh, to being completely data-driven. So essentially, we help companies use the data from their vessels and we utilize AI technology to help their vessels become more efficient uh, as existing assets as they are without, let's say, making outside investments. Yes, uh, yeah, Johan Meyer. Um, uh, I was just calculating. It's, it's 24 years I'm in shipping now. Uh, last 10 years in uh, managing director positions in different companies. Last two years with uh, Columbia Ship Management, mainly in Hamburg, Germany, plus uh, CSM Energy, which is the uh, offshore arm of Columbia Ship Management. Um, out of my history, I guess a few colleagues in the audience still know me as a superintendent sitting somewhere in the dry dock and a little bit dirty. So I'm, I'm coming from the groundwork uh, uh, and, and now uh, leading, leading the ship management uh, for Colombia and Hamburg. Thank you. And uh, myself, uh, uh, Ricardo Pilotta. Uh, I work for uh, RINA, RINA Marine Consulting. Uh, I have been uh, spending uh, more than 15 years in the shipbuilding industry uh, in Italy and uh, in the Netherlands. Well, uh, I have to admit we had a very nice uh, uh, discussions, uh, very enlightening uh, panels and uh, presentation before us. So uh, it's not that easy to discuss some topics which have been already uh, taken care of, but I think we're going to give them uh, a different cut. So I'm pretty sure we're going to make, a, uh, we're going to stimulate a different, uh, um, a different discussion and uh, create the new uh, thoughts around the topics which have been indeed uh, already uh, discussed. Um, to introduce the, uh, the, the topic of the panel, uh, uh, I would like to start saying that uh, uh, as, uh, as RINA, uh, uh, we, are <coughs> we are organized in such a way that we have four uh, main um, regional committees, one in Italy, one in Greece, uh, one in North Europe, and uh, uh, one in Far East. Uh, where we stimulate discussions and uh, with um, with uh, with several stakeholders, and also we uh, are focused on three main pillars, which are the new technologies, which is uh, digital, which was discussed also earlier upon, and also the alternative fuels. 
And as you can imagine, uh, uh, all these kind of uh, um, uh, uh, streams can uh, either uh, uh, themselves or all together can create a huge spectrum of uh, uh, services to, uh, to the industry and to, uh, the, to the shipping industry, basically. Uh, of course, uh, uh, having said that, said that uh, everyone can have his own uh, opinion. So basically, I would like to uh, shoot my first uh, question to uh, either Johan and uh, Theo. Uh, how really uh, they uh, think as, uh, as, uh, as company uh, are uh, looking into that, and uh, especially to you, Johan, as uh, a ship manager, how do you see that? And maybe Theo, uh, I would like to extend the question. How do you see from uh, even a wider perspective as a ship uh, uh, manager and the ship owner, how do you, uh, how, uh, how, how are your companies looking into that? Uh, if you have a, a, a strategy uh, already, how to uh, to cope with uh, this IMO and EU uh, uh, regulations, uh, Jon, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, generally, I have to say, uh, looking at our fleet, it's uh, 300, uh, 380 vessels at the moment, uh, which are of different types, different trade, uh, etc. So it's. It's, it's kind of difficult to have a stiff strategy uh, and put it towards uh, each of our clients. So um, what, what we are looking in at the moment and, and what, we are, what is our strategy, let's say, is, uh, is uh, fuel optimization or optimization uh, um, in general. It's digitalization uh, and it's a, it's a big topic. It's partnerships because uh, our heartbeat is ship management um, and, and, and without the proper partners, without scaling up, um, uh, we will not. We will not be able to cope with the upcoming, uh, uh, the upcoming requirements. Um, what we also see, uh, and this is uh, also as a crew manager quite important, is, is uh, the, the social responsibility and the training. Um, so even on, 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 on minor things like explaining and uh, explaining an AB that it, it might make sense to switch off the light when leaving the cabin. Um, uh, this will be small steps, but also steps which. We will. Uh, uh, we are taking into consideration, but all in all, it's. It's. I would say it's very, very tailor-made um, for each and every client, and I have to say also for each and every asset. Uh, and and we, as the manager, and also together with our partners, um, we we try to tailor each individual and single case uh, uh, to to cope with the upcoming requirements. In addition, I learned one thing today in, uh, from Dr. Stopford that uh, uh, I will book cooking courses, I guess, uh, to make the right pie. So that's, uh, that's something we are looking into now as well. No, well, that's, that's our... Well, so basically you are also looking into different uh, kind of vessels. Eh? Uh, you exactly. make a, a tailored fit uh, uh, specific strategy for yes. each and every yes. uh, uh, vessel yes. eh? divided by category. Yes, uh, exactly. So, so we, are, yes, we, are, we, are, we are introducing soon... Uh, um, a platform, let's say, with our partners and us together, which is called uh, OneLink, and is uh, is actually combining all the different parts you can get within the industry. Actually, uh, be it uh, voyage optimization, be it fuel optimization, be it weather routing, training, etc., etc., covering the the upcoming topics as a as a as a one-stop shop. I think this is something which which is in the need of our clients and which is in need of the market. Um, um, that's why we are working on it and will be released quite soon, yes. Looks interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Johan. Uh, Theo? Yeah, thank you very much. 
being uh, owners and managers, uh, we are a little bit more focused than uh, Johan. We have only 100 vessels. 75 of them are containers and 25 of them are bar carriers. So we have uh, the opportunity and the luck, let's say, to, to deal with uh, uh, major uh, container charters. Uh, and this is, uh, I have to say once more, it's luck because they have a different approach compared with uh, bulk carrier charters. Uh, they are very focused, they are very determined, and uh, they are very understanding, uh, and we work hand in hand in order to optimize our fleet. This gives us the opportunity to work with, uh, let's say, the leaders of uh, the market and try to implement uh, measures that uh, they will uh, end up having the ships quite efficient by the end of uh, the modifications and uh, will extend, let's say, ideally the uh, lifespan. Uh, while on uh, the Barker side, uh, quite frankly, uh, we haven't heard anything from anybody up to now regarding what kind of optimization, what kind of approach we're going to have on our fleet. For sure, there, there are two different animals. And uh, I have to say that uh, uh, we, we, we are doing a couple of major uh, projects involving a few, uh, a few ships uh, in total that uh, energy saving devices starting from bulbous bow modification, propeller modification, uh, PSGVs, uh, trim optimization, uh, variable frequency drives, uh, probably the whole lot. Uh, the only thing I would exclude is this bubble uh, approach on the hull. Uh, are going to be implemented uh, starting from the end of the month, uh, first vessel, and we'll move forwards till uh, the end of August next year. Uh, the actual uh, savings anticipated are uh, in the area of uh, 12 to 15 percent, being a little bit conservative. Nevertheless, the capital invested is going to be nearly 2.5 million dollars. That's a hell of a lot of money for one ship. And uh, I have included, excluded uh, silicon paint uh, uh, on the hull, which is another half a million dollars. Uh, this kind of money are um, not very easy to be found, and uh, unless uh, you have uh, a close collaboration with uh, the charterers and find ways around it, uh, I guess that uh, not everybody can do it. Uh, I'm very, very confident that um, we'll be able to go through this turbulent time uh, next year and the year after. Uh, I'm still very puzzled and uh, I have to say that uh, uh, we have to heavily invest not only on hardware but also on human elements in the office. Uh, expertise are needed and uh, without the human element uh, we won't be able to, to move forward. I'll stop here because I can go on for another hour, uh, Roberto, so <laughs> please go on. No, but basically you gave me the bridge uh, uh, to discuss about a nice, another uh, nice uh, topic, which is about uh, the, the, the relationship, the partnership, maybe better to say, between uh, uh, ship owners, uh, ship managers and uh, charters. Because of course, I can imagine now uh, you are uh, under a lot of pressure 
because you have to um, um, deliver a certain amount of goods in a certain amount of time, while you also have to reduce the CO2. So how this can go uh, along together? Because it looks to me a little bit contradicting. So, uh, Johan and, and, and Theo, do you, do you want to elaborate on, uh, on that a little bit? Maybe Theo from the, from the owner's side first, right? Uh, well, reducing CO2 is, uh, uh, I would say, an obligation of all of us uh, for the environment. Uh, going uh, towards that direction, uh, of course, uh, uh, we have uh, the, the, the milestone of EEXI, uh, which doesn't say a lot uh, in terms of numbers, but uh, I, I guess it gives the signal that uh, definitely we have to move to slower steaming of our fleet because obviously by reducing the, the available power, uh, then eventually you cannot achieve high uh, speeds. And uh, I would say across the border uh, basically is accepted that uh, reducing CO2 uh, in general simply has to reduce speed. Uh, then comes uh, along uh, the CII uh, saga, which uh, has gone uh, a lot uh, on every little table of, of every shipping manager. Uh, what on earth we are going to do with CII compliance? CII compliance is, um, let's say, a cumulative result of owners, charters and the hardware which is the vessel and uh, I have to say if not if not all of them are communicating and trying to solve the problem of CIA compliance it will never be solved uh, I'm sure that everybody or most of you know very well that um, the the actual uh, compliance of getting a rating C or better relies primarily on the utilization of the vessel. And we've done uh, a tremendous amount of homework regarding uh, how uh, the utilization uh, percentage change, let's say, would move from category D to C, B, or even A. And you'll be surprised that by uh, a small percentage of increasing, let's say, the utilization of the vessel, you can easily move categories and be compliant uh, for even, uh, you know, I would say bad in brackets uh, ships. The utilization does not depend on the owner. It depends on the operator of the vessel. And this is the operator that uh, is the, char the charterer. He gives instructions to the vessel. He knows how long the vessel is going to wait at Anchorage prior entering the port for discharging operations. Uh, so he basically controls uh, everything. We as uh, owners and managers don't have a lot of leverage on that apart from uh, monitoring continuously the rating of the vessel, of the whole fleet of course, uh, in order to alert uh, the charters. And being, let's say, diligent and by the end of the year or let's say the beginning of 2024, when uh, the knife is going to hit the bone, uh, try to find solutions regarding non-compliant uh, as far as CII is concerned. Uh, 
Okay, we'll do a lot of ESDs. I'm quite sure SIPs are going to be a lot more efficient. I do a lot of optimization, stream optimization, voyage planning, all the lot. Everybody's doing that, I guess. But the actual idling time of a vessel at the port prior entering or, you know, after a prolonged, uh, let's say, speedy voyage from A to B does destroy CII. <coughs> And who is going to be called at the end of the day to be compliant with? The owner. And how are you going to be compliant if your rating degrades down to E? Then you are in deep problem. We have a big problem. And that's what you're trying to avoid. Sorry, Ricardo, I went uh, a long way. Thank you for your extensive uh, uh, discussion. Thank you very much. Uh, Johan, do you want to elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, again, yeah. From, again, from the ship manager's perspective, basically, this is this, uh, exactly what Theo said. Is, is We are getting it unfiltered from, from our clients because uh, they are getting the requirements from their charters as well. Uh, and, and we see that there is sometimes a big gap between the decarbonization uh, strategy of a charterer and the decarbonization strategy of an owner. Yeah. Uh, what, what we also see is that, uh, I had a talk uh, before before the panel session here, uh, it's a little bit like, I, I remind a little bit of uh, the ballast water treatment uh, implementation, let's say, where everybody was a little bit leaning back and waiting what is going to happen or if it's a delay or something like that. And at the moment we feel that mostly uh, power limitations is, is, the, is the one and only solution for at least the next one, two years, and, and we will survive with that, and then let's see, let's see what, will, what will happen next. Uh, I think, I think uh, it's, it's important, um, and, and, and I do go with the charterers also pushing the greenification a little bit forward. Uh, I, I do think it's, it's, it's necessary to, to change the narrative a little bit and, and, and not only concentrate on alternative fuels is the, is the solution or, or, or power limiters are the solution. I think the solution is a much, much wider picture and, and we have a long, long way to go. And uh, my personal belief is we are quite too late already. Um, uh, and, and I'm not sure, and, and I think we will table the topic later, what will be the fuel of the future. Uh, and I think charters as well not, and it's a little bit unstable, unstable situation also on the ship manager's market. Uh, because I think in the future it will be the key KPI, not only that vessels are running without or uh, less off-hire as possible, best technical uh, uh, condition, um, but also how a ship manager can cope with the, the decarbonization, with uh, the environmental requirements. Yeah. Thank you, Jon. Thank you very much. Uh, but luckily, uh, sitting uh, around this table, we also have somebody who can uh, maybe help uh, the ship owners and ship managers with uh, with new technologies. Actually, uh, during one of the <laughs> the break we have, I don't remember if either the the lunch or or the coffee break, but I had the opportunity to see what uh, Roberto's company can uh, uh, can do. There's a memo demo outside, so if somebody can also want to play with it uh, after afterwards. But I would like to uh, leave the floor to uh, Roberto first, uh, and uh, after to Rudiger to explain what your companies can uh, can uh, can provide with. Thank you, Roberto. Please. Uh, yes, of course. So uh, because there are so many things that I want to say, hearing all the conversations, the previous panels as well. Uh, one thing that I want to do is before I do a pitch of the company, is uh, do a, some logical steps into what does it mean that the prices of fuel are increasing, or if we even use alternative fuels, they'll be more expensive than the current fuels that we have today. 
So if we take an average bollock size, let's say 182,000 dead weight, uh, I did this whole experiment when I was preparing before the panel, <laughs> and it consumes 55 tons of fuel per day. In today's market, it gets 13 to 15,000 per day uh, as a charter rate. So for the charter pays 15,000 per day for the vessel and around 35,000 for the fuel. Now, if the fuel goes up and not, uh, let's say, doubling the price as uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Stopford said before, but just by 50% increasing the price, that means goes to 52,000 per day with the rate of, again, the vessel being charged at 15K. So what this essentially means is that for the overall cost to transfer goods, the primary cost for the charter will be the fuel. So what that means is that the more efficient ship that can consume 10% less fuel for the same, let's say, journey will be a lot more attractive commercially, which then means that the value of the asset will be primarily determined by how energy efficient that asset is. And now closing that statement, I'm going to introduce what we do and how we can help at DeepSea with this exact problem, which is, okay, there are different types of fuels we can use. We can invest 2.5 million per ship. Wow, that's a very strong figure. Uh, or we can try, let's say, with a very modest uh, investment in technology. So for instance, to equip a vessel with state-of-the-art torque meters, flow meters, and data collection costs around 50K. And now we're at the moment in time where the technology actually works. So what that means is that we have proven now deep sea, we have some case studies that are gonna be published with Wilhelmsen, one of the clients, and we've proven 8% Voyage, uh, voyage optimization savings. And that's by using the asset as it is without any outside investment. I mean, in bulbous bows or newest ducts or trim optimization. I mean, there's a big question mark in trim optimization, but let's get that another uh, panel perhaps. But without any outside investment, we can have a guaranteed saving. And the cost is $1,000 per month. If you compare that to 2.5 million, I, don't, I can't do the math on the top of my head, but it's many, many, many years <laughs> uh, till these two numbers become equivalent. So that's where we come in at DeepSea. And so that this does not look like a pitch of DeepSea, but more of a technology pitch overall. I think any sort of uh, implementation, proper implementation of, a, of technology that can provide insights from the data is the most meaningful investment, the highest ROI that anyone can do right now today. That's, I'm, I'm biased, but that's at least uh, my <laughs> viewpoint. Thank you, thank you, Roberto. R Rudiger, please. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> coming to the question. Um, yeah, we are, SMIN, uh, one of the main suppliers of uh, marine engines, marine propulsion systems, and so we are in contact with, uh, I would say, with all the major uh, ship owners and as well shipyards. And uh, some years back, so the, we discussed uh, about cylinder condition and all that stuff. But uh, in the last yeah, two or three years, all the discussions only go around one topic, and it's decarbonization and uh, saving greenhouse gases and CO2. And uh, we see three major fields uh, which can be yeah, addressed uh, to reduce uh, the CO2 emission of a vessel or of uh, the shipping industry globally. Uh, the one uh, and first one, which is I think the most simple one, is just speed. So reduce speed and then 
you uh, reduce your uh, CO2 emission per ton uh, kilometer measured. And um, with the EXI and the CII and so on, with these new regulations coming up, um, we see now a big, uh, 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 big demand for this engine power limitation. So that's quite a simple measure. The next one which can be done as well on the existing fleet, and I would say is the next step is to work on the efficiency. There are many measures. I just want to make one example, and this is uh, optimize uh, the propeller. So we had here the bulbous bow, but um, as well uh, the propeller, um, on a fixed pitch propeller, you can cut off uh, the old propeller blades and uh, then adjust new propeller blades. It's, um, yeah, during docking, a simple measure. Um, yeah, we as MN or our, our competitors, we can calculate uh, these retrofits. And uh, on vessels, yeah, with, I would say, older designs, you can gain easily 7, 10, or 12% of efficiency, resulting in a lower fuel consumption. And then the last uh, big field, and I would say in the, yeah, when, you, when we see the next uh, 30 years until 2050, I think uh, it's uh, the one which is uh, yeah, the most difficult one uh, to, to, to work on, and this is fuel. And um, our influence uh, is as well limited, and uh, yours as ship owner, uh, or whatever your role is in shipping as well, because it depends a lot, uh, not only on the demand side, but as well on the supply side. Um, we discuss at the moment a lot of uh, fuels, uh, methanol, ammonia, and so on. And um, the demand uh, for our engines running on these different fuels is really high. And uh, yeah, the question is where will be the, uh, the supply in five or 10 years from now for this uh, bio or synthetic fuels. And, um, but uh, to, to reach finally uh, the goals, uh, speed and efficiency are for sure nice parts, but uh, the most important and biggest part will be uh, yeah, the fuel. Thank you, thank you, Rudiger, very much. Uh, so basically, just to, to wrap up what we have been discussing so far is uh, uh, we discuss about uh, the company strategies, we discuss about uh, partnership, uh, either or not in place between ship owners and uh, um, charters, and uh, uh, what the, the, the actual technology can provide uh, us with. Now, I have another question for all of you guys uh, regarding uh, the, um, the Fit for 55, the emission trade scheme, uh, which is basically kicking in, uh, starting from 500 gross tonnage as uh, uh, size uh, of the vessel, if we can call it like that. Um, do you think this might uh, uh, create uh, strange mechanisms uh, within the shipping market or new opportunities or something like that? Uh, Johan, you want to start with that? Good, good but difficult question. I, I, I know. That's I, why I'm asking. <laughs> I, I don't. I, honestly speaking, I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I think it's it's also again a matter of of, uh, of of the type of vessel, of the trade, etc., uh, etc. Et so I, I don't think that this that that big players will will jump on this one. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Uh, there might be niches where it makes sense, but but I don't believe it, it's going to happen. Yeah, fair, fair answer. Same, Roberto. I agree. I agree with you on, on this one. You have the same. Uh, yeah, you yeah. have the same picture as well, right? Yeah. Thank you, uh, Rudiger. Yeah, same as well. And I think at the end, uh, no field or no size will be left unregulated. So, 
I think European Union or whoever will yeah. regulate as well the smaller things. Yeah, indeed, basically, somebody is yeah. thinking to decrease the threshold to 400 gross tonnage in the next future, so that's probably uh, the next step, but uh, yeah. still, I want to hear from Theo what he thinks about it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I believe it's basically politically driven decision for the time being, but definitely, as Rudiger said, uh, the whole market is going to be regulated uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I have uh, also another, uh, another question um, uh, regarding uh, uh, the, the alternative fuels. I know it has been already uh, discussed uh, uh, multiple times uh, today, um, but uh, uh, basically, you know, the, um, um, uh, there are several uh, bio, uh, um, alternative fuels, um, uh, LPG, LNG, uh, ammonia, methanol, hydrogen, you name it. Um, I, was, uh, I was just uh, thinking that, uh, that, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, all of them are suitable for uh, all kinds of vessels. For example, I can name one, um, ammonia. I, again, it's personal opinion. I don't feel that uh, it has a great future for uh, either cruise, uh, uh, vessels or, or yachts, because maybe uh, owners don't like to uh, uh, feel the smell of, uh, of that when they jump on board. But still, there is a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of possibilities within the market. Uh, I would like to hear from you, uh, all of you, what, uh, what, uh, uh, what do you think about it? And what uh, is the, uh, how to call your favorite uh, alternative fuel, uh, Johan, and why? Uh, I have to answer that a little bit um, wider, let's put it this way. Uh, we, we are, since, since one and two years, we are doing a lot of things, uh, for example, together with Total Energies. We, uh, we, we, we look in the fuel transition, etc., etc. We are, we are talking with Saudi Aramco on greenification. We are part of a big EU project now in the carriage of ammonia on board and storage. Um, there's a lot of things we are doing and testing. We are testing uh, different alternative fuels on different vessels for different clients. If you ask me today, um, I, I can only tell you that I, I forgot my glass bowl at home, and I, I cannot tell you what would be the right fuel of the future. And I'm, and I'm still, I'm still convinced that maybe in three to five years' time, we, we are talking about maybe also other alternative solutions. Yeah, can most likely be. So that's why it's, 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 it's hard to say, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, Roberto, do you uh, agree yes. with that or you have so another uh, vision? The thing is, uh, I think the answer, although it's obvious at the end of the day, the fuel that's going to prevail is the cheapest one. And uh, what that means is that it greatly depends what the carbon tax is going to be to make the transition to alternative fuels as an investment also economically viable. Now, I, I think nuclear is actually, I agree, that nuclear is a very good option. Uh, the problem with nuclear is that it requires a very large upfront investment. And the main question is who is going to finance uh, that investment in the beginning and then spread it through time. Because in this very highly volatile market, uh, let's say that people don't want to be tied their capital to large investments especially up front, as, 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 as low equity as someone could possibly get, or let's say uh, that the largest percentage that can be financed from external parties, the better. So 
Yeah, I don't know which one will prevail, but it greatly depends on what the carbon tax is when that is announced. Yeah. Thank you, Roberto. Rudiger. Yeah, I just can uh, reflect uh, quite briefly what our uh, order book at the moment uh, is uh, showing. And uh, so we have a major part now of uh, LNG engines, um, especially equipped with our MEGI engine, this, the two-stroke engine with the high-pressure injection where we nearly completely avoid the methane slip. So uh, on this engine, 20-25% uh, of greenhouse gases can be saved with fossil fuels, so this is quite a big achievement. Um, this is still used, or this is mainly used in, uh, yeah, br uh, in branches uh, where the pressure from the public is quite high, like car carriers from the car companies or uh, big uh, container vessels, um, uh, which are yeah, delivering the goods of Nike or whoever, who has a high uh, pressure on bringing down the CO2 emissions. Um, the fuel of the hour at the moment is where everyone is talking about is methanol, um, especially again the container uh, vessels, the very big ones are uh, moving on to uh, methanol. For methanol it's important that this methanol they use will not be fossil because the CO2 footprint of fossil methanol is higher compared to diesel. And uh, then uh, we have ammonia on the screen, uh, 2024, 2025 beginning we will uh, deliver the first ammonia engine. Ammonia is, uh, yeah, for sure the most uh, difficult fuel to handle on board. Um, so in the beginning it will be uh, on tankers, but as well it can be a solution for um, container vessels uh, which have a fixed rate. So where it's clear that they come for bunkering uh, every two days to the same port, you have the same protocols, you have the same crew, and then you can handle for sure as well ammonia. And ammonia has the big advantage uh, that there is no carbon inside at all. So you only use uh, nitrogen and hydrogen uh, to produce ammonia. And the last one, um, hydrogen. Uh, we as MIN uh, as well look into hydrogen, but it's mainly driven uh, from the power segment, from the stationary uh, power plants. Uh, in uh, shipping, the number of projects with hydrogen, no matter if it's two-stroke or four-stroke, is yeah very, very small. Uh, Rudiger, sorry, are you studying uh, uh, solutions, uh, uh, combined solution? Uh, I mean, uh, engines, uh, dual fuel engines, or are you also dedicating your activities to uh, engines uh, uh, running only with ammonia or running uh, with uh, methanol, as you, as you name it? No, um, all our engines are dual fuel engines, so this means you can run the engine on, uh, always on diesel and heavy fuel oil and then additional on one of the other fuels. Do you do you expect expect that they have the same uh, say behavior, uh, yeah. uh, performance speaking, uh, either if they run with the methanol or uh, or ammonia, or do you see uh, that uh, a specific engine might have a specific uh, uh, role uh, in a specific vessel? Um, so the the uh, performance of the engine is uh, the same uh, if it's using diesel or methanol. Um, so you need to inject a certain amount of energy. So there's no loss in efficiency or in power, at least on the two-stroke engine uh, engines. Uh, on four-stroke, it's a little bit dif uh, difficult, uh, different, how to say. Um, but uh, as I said, so um, there are some special segments looking into special solutions. Uh, crews and car carriers is going uh, at the moment LNG. Uh, container vessels uh, is looking into methanol. And ammonia is quite early to say, but this is at the moment, yeah, mostly uh, tankers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
I would say from the from the yeah shipping segments, maybe Balkas is uh, the most let's put it so uh, traditional one. But uh, a Balka, I would say, is as well is in the most difficult situation because the speed is already yeah at the very lower end, and uh, they are going on in tramp shipping, so you don't know where you end up tomorrow. So this is. Uh, for sure the most difficult part. Thank you, Rudiger. Theo. Yeah, I mean, like everybody before us said, nobody knows what is going to be the alternative fuel of the future. And uh, I fully agree on that. Uh, but if you ask my opinion, what would be uh, my favorite solution, uh, I would say very bluntly, it's going to be nuclear. And uh, Nuclear, nuclear, you said. Correct. And... Uh, I will uh, contest with Roberto saying that uh, definitely it's quite a heavy investment up front. Uh, it doesn't have to be like this. It could be a kind of a leasing, uh, let's say, arrangement with the manufacturer and uh, it's going to be a lot, a lot easier to handle. And uh, we are talking something like which uh, needs a, a regulatory framework, of course, well in advance. Uh, but uh, I'm quite sure that uh, even for all the fuels that uh, Rudiger mentioned before, I wouldn't go through them again, definitely uh, there is a lot of uh, work to be done regarding scale production and the network that is going to be uh, sufficient uh, to, to support uh, shipping. Same applies for nuclear power ships. I mean, it needs some time, definitely. But uh, just think that uh, you'll never have to bunker again. That's something very traditional. And uh, probably at the end of the day, operating a nuclear power ship is going to be less complicated compared, compared with a ship that is run, let's say, with ammonium. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. So I think we can leave... Uh uh, the stage uh, with this uh, dilemma, which uh, is going to be the most favorite uh, uh, alternative fuel uh, for, for the future or maybe for the next panel. So I would like to thank uh, all the uh, colleagues which have thank you. helped us thank you. today. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for a great panel, and uh, we are almost coming to the end of our conference. I'd like to ask Olaf to come and take over for our next panel, and I'd like to ask the panelists to join us. I see Tim and John and, and Laura and uh, Constantine. Thank you. It's a more eclectic audience at the end of the day, but a more dedicated one, I guess. <laughs>